Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Sometimes when we read the scripture texts in such a bold way and, and really hear uh, the words of scripture and it penetrates the heart, sometimes we just need to take a deep breath. It's pretty intense. It just got real. So last week, we took a look at the clutter in each of our lives. I read just this week about a pastor that apologized while preaching, and he said this. He said these words. If I stepped on any of your toes this morning, please see me after the service. I must apologize because I was aiming for your heart and not your toes. This series is not aiming to be an all-inclusive series that answers all the problems of life. Rather, I want it to be a prompting, an urging to have a conversation with yourself, with the Lord, and those you confide in and trust. To draw awareness to any spring cleaning that needs to take place so that we may grow in likeness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but also with our relationship with God, creator of the heavens and the earth. So, last week, we were challenged to take an assessment of self and to look around and try to determine how all the junk piled up so rapidly in our lives. Just like spring cleaning. When we take a look around and uh, see what's happened to the place over the winter, and we determine that we have a lot of work to do. Out in the garden, around the house, in the garage, in the car. Lots and lots of spring cleaning. But the great news is what? We hold on to a great hope and victory. We can be so willing to get our hands dirty, exercise a bit of elbow grease, get busy, and do some work. Or even save all the hassle and simply release it to God. And let let Him have His way in our lives. Yes, this sounds like a wonderful idea. And what we discussed just last week as we launched off this series. And I, I do hope and trust that you've allowed some spring cleaning to take place in your life, and you've experienced a true joy and freedom. If you're new here at ECW and this is your first Sunday or you weren't here last week, it's okay. Uh, You can go back and listen to the message from last week and be challenged, but also I'm picking up right where we left off. I'm going to build upon that of how do we look within ourselves and how do we take into account the guidance of Scripture that causes us to do things that we might not expect of ourselves. It challenges us, and it changes us. So this week, we're going to come to an active participant part of the gospel, the part of the equation this week in the part two of our series. All throughout Scripture, we have, a, we have these intimate narratives throughout the Old Testament and New Testament about how the Creator interacts with His creation. God seldom interacts with bystanders, but rather He deeply engages with active participants. And and we find that within those relationships that God moves in miraculous and amazing ways to do mighty things. It is here which I would like to lean our time today as we gather together. So what does it mean to be an active participant with what God is doing in the world? What might we want to bring to focus? 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22, we read about David's appointment as king. And David was what? 
What's he labeled as? Ken Shepherd. This is active participation, remember? <laughs> David was a man after God's own heart. You all thought that, right? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossed my mind. I was just nervous to speak up. That's right. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, Scripture does not tell us to be like David. Yes, please don't be like David in some of the faults of his life, uh, and for a multitude of reasons. It tells us to be like Jesus. However, this trait of pursuing God wholeheartedly and being after God's own heart is something we ought to learn from and emulate. It's something that David received as a label because it was justified. Did he have faults? Did he have failures? Did he have mishaps and problems? Bad decisions? Absolutely. Was he perfect? No. But he was a man after God's own heart. And we see this love story that unravels between this, this broken, unfiltered man with issues. And God says, you know what? I love you anyways. And I want to use you in a mighty way. So he was a man after God's own heart. And it's something we ought to do the same. So every fortnight I meet with a group of young men at my house. And we, we dig deeper into the area of discipleship. And growing in our faith together. It's here that I would like to share a moment towards a heart in pursuit of God's own heart. We are currently working through uh, a discipleship discipleship series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I'm going to steal their logo for a moment, and it's going to give us a solid visual for spring cleaning, if you will. It's right there. Now, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uses this image a bit differently than I've chosen to do this morning. But we all understand this imagery of, you can see the tip of the iceberg, but what's underneath it is the real issues and the real problems, right? A million and one different ways this photo can speak lessons and illustrate points and paint a picture of reality. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your reality? If we make the tip of the iceberg the visible, vivid, and noticeable sins in our lives, what would it be? The things that you can't deny it, the people around you recognize it, they know you're working on it, but it's right there, plain as day. People can see. You have a note page in your outlook. Feel free to write it down. I wouldn't necessarily share it with your neighbor, but it might be helpful for you to say, what's some things last week that, that boiled up to say, I have some spring cleaning that I need to be working on. That, that I know that God has identified some shortfalls, some pitfalls in my life, and I need him to help me overcome and find victory over the sin in my life. What would it be? What's at the tip of the iceberg that's no surprise to the people around you? You might want to write that down. God's working on us. So now, what might be below the surface? Sin that is layer upon layer upon layer deeply rooted in your life that's maybe captivated you, um, held you captive for, for many, many years. People around you might not recognize it, might not even know it about you. And in fact, it could be something that you're still unraveling because you haven't hit the root of the issue and you're unaware of what really is dark in your life and in your heart. Often it is here that sin can take a great root in our lives and drive our outward reactions that are unwholesome and unhealthy. So here's a good exercise for you and I. 
Anything that you think of in this section, write it down. Now look at your iceberg. The tip, what lies underneath, what's deep-rooted. I might have to give you a few more moments, and unless we're all entirely sanctified and doing great in the journey, and then in that case, I can just shut up and we can all go home. But, but think about that list. And an exercise that I find really helpful is not just to look at that list and say, man, I do have issues, and get depressed and frustrated and overwhelmed, but I like assigning it to Scripture. I like saying, what does God's Word say about this? Where can I gain insight in the Bible that I can recite over and over and claim that victory until victory comes, to know that God is at work in me. So perhaps you have a potty mouth. Watching the game last night. Psalm 34, 13 through 14 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Maybe you're having trouble with forgiveness. You could assign something like Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven can also forgive you your sin. Or maybe you like food too much. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that your body is a megachurch? So enjoy as much takeaways as you desire. No. It doesn't say that, does it? Alright, time to be honest. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Why do I say this? Assigning scripture to the struggles and, and the sin issues in our lives. Because we need to seek the truth. We need to seek God's guidance in finding what does it truly mean to live like Jesus. Our Wesleyan heritage, or DNA if you will, that's a, that's a plug for Pastor Richard's book that's being launched next month, our Wesleyan DNA. It upholds a strong theology of holiness and an understanding of what entire sanctification means. And what it exists to be in and through our lives. So what does that look like? 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says this. It says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 2 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 1 Peter 1, 14-16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all, the, in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what does this journey look like? It sounds pretty out of reach and out of touch at times. On our best days, but what about our worst? Self-awareness does go a long way. You know, we grow, we mature, we take assessments, we learn, we look into the mirror, and, and, and we journal, and we reflect on this, this age-old question of, who am I? And I think through the years, we become more self-aware of our existence. And it does go a long way, but it's not the end game or the result that we're looking for. There's much more that we need to gain. So, with you this morning, can I share something? 
We're all on this journey. And I want to invite you into my life for a moment. Because when I look at my iceberg, I answer a few questions like this. I love my life. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my job. I love where I live. And the long and short of it, I'm a blessed man. And for that, I am extremely thankful. And I have to ask, Lord, where are the areas that I need to work on or might not be aware of? Holiness is this. When given it a choice to sin or not, you'll always choose to honor God. This is the sanctified life. That when given a choice to sin against God or obey God, you're going to choose to obey God. You're not going to deliberately choose, no God, sorry, not today, I'm going to sin against you. This is this journey of holiness, of entire sanctification. So why do we need forgiveness in our, in our walk with Christ? That if, if we attain this level of spiritual maturity to where when given a choice to sin against God or not, then God, I choose to honor you. Why is there still a need for the cross? Why is there still a need for Jesus' death? Why must I still go through repentance and forgiveness? And this leads me to the part of my iceberg. I found an answer to this question when doing some serious reflection on my life. Am I perfect? Far from it. Am I in pursuit of God's own heart? Wholeheartedly. Catch this. For all the times that I've missed the prompting of the Holy Spirit to share the good news, the hope that we have in the gospel message, to pray for someone who is hurting, broken, and lost, to serve the people around me, to simply be Jesus in a dark, cold, and empty world. Every time that I've blown it or dropped the ball, missed opportunities, I must ask forgiveness. Even the times that I'm completely unaware of. Perhaps I was too busy, I was in a rush, I was preoccupied, or simply unfocused because I was just ticking the boxes of life and going through the motions and in survival mode, if you will. But what does it truly mean to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, to hear that still, small voice for the opportunities that exist all around us every day? It's a tip of an iceberg. And, and what we're talking about here is not, oh, well, Pastor Josh, don't be so hard on yourself. What are we talking about? People's eternity. The, the, the theology and understanding of eternal life and the problem of sin in the world, we're talking about where people will spend eternity. Now, I've shared this quote before uh, from Penn, a devout atheist at that, from the famous magic duo Penn and Teller. And he once said this. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize them? If you truly believe in eternal life and withhold that information, the freedom and the hope that's found in that, how can you truly say that you love your neighbor? That'll do more than just step on your toes. Ezekiel in our text got hit square between the eyes with this reality. 
Serving as a priest, he knew what it was like to be consecrated and fully working for the Lord. But then something shifted. Something shifted in his call. He was called beyond the priesthood, and Ezekiel was called to be a prophet. Or as we found in our verse this morning, a watchman over Israel. Now, being a watchman was a big deal. In Old Testament days, the city wall was everything to the safety and well-being of the city. In fact, if you go to all the archaeological digs in the Holy Land, uh, for many of the cities, the only thing still intact are the city walls. Because they were built so strong to be the protection and the refuge for the entire community. And if that wall was breached, the city was doomed. A watchman was the most important person in the town when it came to their safety and well-being. They kept watch day and night to warn the city of potential threats and ruin. If a watchman failed their duty, they historically would lay down their life to right the wrong. It was a job that you would certainly want to be on your A game all the time. You wouldn't want a bad day at work. Now, I've been in ministry for 20 plus years, believe it or not, and to this day, I've never met a prophet. Do they still exist? I would be inclined to say yes. It's biblical. But when we pull the layers back and examine our current cultural context, we must reflect on the shift that we experienced a little over 2,000 years ago. When Jesus extended to us, that, that is, if we uphold that of Christ's follower and Christian, when Jesus extended it to us, the Great Commission, he invited us to be active participants in reaching the world around us. So in doing so, I found telling people about Jesus to be one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. It's that fear of rejection. One of the most fulfilling things. Seeing lives changed and transformed. And one of the most joyous experiences of my, of my entire life. It has also been one of the most exhausting experiences of my life. So whether we tell someone, show someone, serve someone, or walk the long road with someone, it often could take years, decades, or a lifetime. Let us be willing to help others in the spring cleaning tasks that we often face. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, I can't help someone else uh, as my life is a mess currently, you can take care of that right now, today. So in closing of this, this short message, on a holiday weekend, where all of our other pastors are away, many of the congregations away, but we say, God, help me leave this place differently than the way I came. We ponder the words of Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right. And to those of you that already live by that and uphold that on a day-to-day -day basis, it's time to get busy. It's time to be an active participant. There is a world out there with people dying every day that do not know Jesus Christ. You and I can be a part towards changing that and seeing lives change and transform and their eternity rewritten through the cross of Jesus Christ. That they can be set free from the bondage of sin to live life completely 
different and new. I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful that my imperfections, my faults, and my failures, Jesus said, I died for that. And my son, you're forgiven. So might we all be people after God's own heart, striving to live to glorify him in all that we say and do. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the written word of the gospel that is our guide, that is our leader inspiration, the truths that penetrate our heart and drive the actions of our hands and feet. God, I pray that you do more than just stir our hearts this morning, but you really give this, give us this deep-rooted desire to see what holiness could boldly be lived out in and through our lives. God, help us to choose honoring you in every decision that we face in every day. Help us to flee from the bondage of sin. Help us to overcome the sin in our lives that we can obtain victory and praise your name. God, we need your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and encourage us in this life journey that can be so overwhelming and difficult at times. But God, I, I pray that you would help us become more receptive, more open, more receiving, more longing for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide every aspect of our lives. God, everything that we do in every day, help us to do it for your sake, not that of our own. God, help us to love you more, to honor you more, to talk about you more in our everyday lives. So God, we surrender it at the foot of the cross. We ask that you would have your way. We trust you. We believe in your word where it is written. And we claim the truths of scripture over this church, over our ministries, over our homes, families, and ourselves. God, help us to emulate what King, King David discovered in a relationship with you. To be a man or a woman pursuing the very heart of your throne and your kingdom. God, that you loved your creation so much that you sent your son Jesus to die that we could be redeemed and reclaimed to the goodness of your holy presence. Scott, walk before us and lead us, we pray, in the holy and awesome name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.